Good morning. Good morning. You outnumber me, you ought to be louder than me, right? <laughs> to Pastor Charlene and Pastor Tom, to the leaders, members, friends, and co-conspirators of First Presbyterian Church, Berkeley, to the Racial Justice in the Church Committee and everyone who had something to do with my being invited to share with you today and to worship with you today, I express my deep gratitude. And I bring you warm greetings from your siblings at Sojourner Truth Presbyterian Church. And we pray that God will do an amazing thing as I attempt to share the scriptures with you. Let us pray. Holy God, take hold of my tongue and my heart. Use me as your blessing instrument. May the power of the Holy Spirit rain down upon us such that the scriptures are rightly read, rightly heard, rightly preached, and then powerfully lived out. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I think I want to kind of just extend the scriptures a little bit. I started with asking for verses 12 to 25, and then I said, oh, no, let's start at 18, but I want to go back to 12. <laughs> and then we'll go from 12 through uh, verse 25, and I'm... I will be reading from the message translation of the Bible this morning, and, and I encourage you all to listen closely for the Word of God. When Jesus got word that John had been arrested, he returned to Galilee. He moved from his hometown Nazareth to the lakeside village Capernaum, nestled at the base of the Zebulun and Naphtali hills. This move completed Isaiah's revelation, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, road to the sea over Jordan, Galilee, crossroads for the nations, people sitting out their lives in dark bleakness saw a huge light. Sitting in that bleakness, dark country of death, they watched the sun come up. This Isaiah prophesied revelation came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching. He picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. Walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew. They were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me. I'll make a new kind of fisherman of you. Out 
I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. A short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers, James and John, Zebedee's sons. These two were sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their fishnets. Jesus made the same offer to them, and they were just as quick to follow, abandoning boat and father. From there, he went all over Galilee. He used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. God's kingdom was his theme, that beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. He also healed people of their diseases and of the bad effects of their bad lives. Word got around the entire Roman province of Syria. People brought anybody with a sickness, whether mental, emotional, or physical. Jesus healed them, one and all. More and more people came. The momentum gathering, besides those from Galilee, crowds came from the ten towns across the lake. Others up from Jerusalem and Judea, still others from across the Jordan, the word of the Lord. Let us inquire for just a few minutes here under the theme, the fierce urgency of now. The fierce urgency of now. Please hear these words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. This is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. The fierce urgency of now. In Matthew's telling of the Jesus story, Jesus doesn't spend a significant time initially in church. A little different from how Luke tells the story of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' first public act after his time in the wilderness is in church. He goes to the synagogue in Capernaum. He takes up the scroll of Isaiah and says, the Holy Spirit has filled me up to preach good news to the poor. But the way Matthew tells the tale of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus isn't so much in church, but he's out here on these Galilean seashores among subsistence 
fishermen, calling them to come and follow me. So Jesus is more, uh, more like a community organizer. He's calling people out of their regular, safe, and normal routines of life into a movement, a movement that will challenge and seek to subvert the power of the Roman Empire. Jesus is organizing in the poor town of Galilee, in the occupied territories of Palestine, in a Roman province patrolled by Roman soldiers with heavy taxation upon every aspect of the people's lives. Yes, not just their homes, but also their livelihoods. Fishermen were required by Roman taxation law to submit a significant portion of their catch to the Roman authorities. And those who did not do so could meet with punishment confiscation of their boats or incarceration. Jesus acted as a community organizer who suffused his ministry in the collateral damage of colonial empire. He was a movement founder. Jesus called these young men out of their regular life routine. Come and follow me. Jesus also called those who were suffering from the marks of colonial oppression. And he healed their diseases. People began in the areas where people were poor and suffering, were wounded and grieving the loss of their national autonomy and personal safety. He called them to be healed of all of their diseases. The feelings of not being safe in the place where you grew up. The feelings of fear of what the Roman patrollers might do to you just because of your origin and what you look like and because you weren't one of them. The economic pressure of Roman taxation, which could mean homelessness, for those who had traditionally, for generations, lived in their kinship spaces. In fact, one of the descriptors of the place where they were was Galilee of the Gentiles, because the genti gentilification <laughs> of this region in Palestine meant that those who had come to live there, citizens of the Roman Empire, were displacing the indigenous residents into places of 
says darkness, but I prefer bleakness. We have this thing of darkness means something bad. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They were the places of bleakness because darkness is where life begins. So it can't be bad. Jesus calls these disciples and they immediately respond. They drop what they're doing and they follow him. The fierce urgency of now. Well, why no time for contemplation? Why no time for prayer? Why no time for, consider this and I'll come back and check with you later. Well, perhaps the writers of Matthew who were living not in the time where all of this took place, but much later were facing a different kind of reality in their, in their attempts to evangelize people under Roman occupation. Perhaps people were finding it difficult to challenge the historical notions of their faith traditions. Maybe they were finding it difficult under the pressure of their families and religious leaders not to leave their traditional faith stories, faith traditions, and join this rebel cult behind this ragged preacher. And perhaps the grip and the fear engendered by the screaming eagles of the Roman legions made it seem like it was foolish to oppose the empire. Maybe there was a need to show a, a model of responding to Jesus' call upon one's life that, that says, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to drop and follow you. Wherever you're going, I need to go. Whatever you're teaching, I need to learn. No matter who or what attempts to dissuade me, I'm going to make you and your way first in my life. The fierce urgency of now. Jesus said to them, I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you, one that challenged their traditional notions of kinship and even disrupted the colonial economic order. Instead of paying taxes to Rome, I'm going to drop that whole system and follow him. Eugene Peterson translates that they were under God's government a good government, unlike the government of the empire, which dehumanized, unlike the government of the empire, which stole traditional lands and displaced traditional residents, unlike the government of the empire whose laws were enforced by the shields and the swords and the chariots of the soldiers. 
The government of the kingdom of God was a good government, a government that didn't look away from the pain of the exploited, a government that did talk about what was difficult to speak about, the injustice in the society, and sided itself in a preferential option for the poor. A good government that sought economic justice. A good government that created spaces where children did not have to grow up with inferiority complexes. A good government where people of color looked in the mirror and liked what they saw. This subversive work, this anti-colonial work, this work for liberation was the new vocation of those who were called to follow Jesus. Those who cannot see the invisible, an old preacher once told me, will not be able to do the impossible. And they were called to action under the fierce urgency of now. This was ministry on the margins. Ministry among the unheard. Ministry among those who were not the privileged, who could buy off or drink off or play off the effects of colonization. I'm remembering the words of those, of, of someone who once said, I don't speak truth to power because power doesn't listen. In fact, power knows what I'm going to say before I open my mouth. I speak to those caught in the teeth of power. I understand the fierce urgency of now. We say that the insurrectionists on January 6th, that democracy survived. They didn't win. And yet, in school district meetings across the country, books are being banned. and people are being told they can't say gay. We say that our democracy survived. And yet, mass shootings continue, and the problems of the unhoused mushroom beyond our imaginations. We say that our democracy has survived. And yet, in Congress, election deniers 
and insurrectionists will be the heads of key congressional committees. I guess it's like saying the South lost the war. Did they? The fierce urgency of now. This same Jesus who called these four brothers to come and follow me makes the same call to each one of us. Not to a Christianity that is comfortably coexisting with injustice. One that somehow provides us solace and safety like an island of safety in a sea of sin. The fierce urgency of now says that we say yes to Jesus. We drop the nets of what we were doing before and we follow him to places that we have not been before, to people in which we engage in something that Father Greg Boyle has called radical kinship beyond our kith and kin to those who are unlike us, whose stories we know not, whose stories have been silenced and submerged so that we may know in full what it is to be alive in this century, in this place. Boyle has said we go to the margin not to, to, to uh, make a difference because that's really about us. We go to the margin so the people at the margin will make us different. We need a different faith and a different theology. An anti-colonial faith and an anti-colonial theology a faith that joins Jesus at the margin. With a God that operates from the bottom. We have wounds that need healing. We have comfort zones that need to be shaken. There are stories we yet need to hear. We are called to embody the kingdom of God today. Jesus heals the, us and then he sends us as agents of radical transformation. Because in the fierce urgency of now, there is such a thing as too late. Let us drop what we're doing and be anxious to follow him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen.